You are now listening to the Whip Cream Podcast with Bianca Harris. Bianca Harris. We're going to jump right in today. I have an amazing guest. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jess O'Reilly. I'm a sex and relationship expert. Cool. Real job. I actually <laughs> saw you on, maybe it was The Social? Maybe, yeah, or Marilyn Dennis. Something. Yes. Recently. I've seen you before, though. And But I recently saw you um, on TV, and I was like, oh my god, I need to get her on the podcast, because I think what you do is so fascinating. I don't even remember what you were talking about. It was more your personality that I remembered. I'm like, we need to get her on, because I want to talk to you about what you do. Awesome. Um... So I think we'll start there, maybe. Why? How did you get into what you're doing? And yeah, let's start there. So it's a long story. I obviously didn't dream of being a sexologist when I was a six-year-old child. Uh, <laughs> I was a high school teacher. I was a high school teacher oh, okay. in downtown Toronto, literally around the corner from your studios. Uh, I was working with 16 to 20-year-olds who were kind of in and out of the system, street involved, many of them mandated to school on probation, um, so marginalized youth. Um, and they were coming to me with relationship problems, with like STIs, with unplanned pregnancy, um, with unhealthy relationships and abusive relationships. And I thought, you know, they're here in school. Why is our sex ed system at sex ed and relationship education not catching this? So I went back to school to study uh, sex and relationship education to support teachers. So my, my passion and my background is public education. I want to see programs in schools that are accessible and relevant to students, programs that are actually making a difference in their lives in terms of how they feel about themselves and the decisions they make. Because if we can make young people feel good about themselves, which is not an easy thing in our culture, Mm -hmm. right? To feel decent about your body, to feel decent about your intelligence level, to feel decent. We're always told we're not good enough. So if we can use educational programs to help students have really good information and boost their self-esteem, they're going to have healthier relationships. So that's my background. And of course, when I graduated, there's no job. There's no like, right. yeah, come be a consultant <laughs> for the Toronto District School Board or any school board across Canada. So uh, I started How speaking. did that work? Because I know that that can be kind of like a thing where parents get, they feel, I, I would assume that they would get like their back against the wall. So it's a very you're talking con- openly yeah. about it, right? It's a very controversial area, but when you look at the data, 85% of parents across Canada are highly supportive of comprehensive sex education that includes a range of topics, including healthy relationships, STI prevention, and even pleasure. So o- parents are overwhelmingly supportive. Of course, if you're watching or listening to the news right now, you're going to see that uh, people are protesting, but this is a very vocal minority. Uh, overwhelmingly, people want young people to have the information yes there are parents who don't even want their kids to learn the names of their genitalia and when you look at the data that's a really scary thing because even when you're learning to protect your body when you're learning to say yes and no when you're reporting when something happens you just need to know the names of your body parts and then you know there's all the layers of creating shame right like you know if, if you have something wrong with your elbow 
you go to the doctor because there isn't the shame. But if you have something wrong in the genital region, there's all this shame. And so it's literally costing people their lives because they're not getting checked. And it doesn't have to be sexually transmitted. It just has to do with what we deem sexual, right? The genital area. So it's a really scary thing. And um, I, I really believe that sex and relationship education is the answer to a lot of our problems. And it isn't about teaching kids like, yeah, get out there and ride that pony. Like, the, the, you know, there's this nonsense out there that we're teaching them how to, to do, you know, how to engage in various sexual acts. And the thing is, we are animals and we do not need to be taught. <laughs> Young people will figure out that it feels good. And so when we talk about sex positive education, we talk about acknowledging the fact that sex can feel good. That is one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons people have sex. And people are afraid that if we acknowledge that with young people, that they're going to run out and have sex. But the reality is they're doing it. They're already feeling the desire. Why not give them the information so that they can decide what to do? That might be delay sex. That might be practice safe sex. That might be have a different type of sex that is safer and lower risk. And we have all the, you know we have a wealth of research from across the globe indicating that providing comprehensive sex education, providing information, does nothing to hasten the onset of sexual activity. It's not like, well, now I have sex education. Now I better go, you know, like I said, ride that pony or shift that stick or whatever it is you think you're doing. Like, <laughs> eat, eat that rug sort of thing. So I, that's really just not the way it works. So that's right. my background. That's my passion. That's not what I do for a living because there is no living in that. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm a corporate speaker. I speak to most... So that's technically what you do to make money. Corporate speaking, yes. Right. Okay, got yeah. it. And when I say corporate, it's actually executives and entrepreneurs and their partners who host retreats uh, to work on their relationships because there's no point in making $10 million if you hate your family or if your kids don't like you or if your partner doesn't like you or if you end up divorced or in, a, in an unhappy relationship. So I work I think with, it's so... I just want to even... Because mm -hmm. I think that's such an important point because I think that we're all... I mean, we're just like literally it's shoved down our throats in this culture to like work, 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 mm -hmm. work, work. Who cares about relationships? Mm -hmm. But you have to start like for me, I, I started to realize that my your life is your relationships. When you take all of those, every, exactly all, everything it. away, what is your career? What is everything else unless you have those relationships? Exactly. Right. And if you ask any successful person, whether so I work primarily with the kind of CEOs and entrepreneurs. And if you ask any of them, like, well, what's most important to you? They're always going to say family. And then you call them out and say, like, well, but you don't prioritize your family. You don't even come close to prioritizing your family. So in theory, we say that our relationships are important, but in behavior, we're not necessarily following through. And I think it's because we don't have the skills to do so. You go to school, you go to workshops, you go to think tanks, you, you learn about business, but you don't learn about relationships. And that's really what, what my business entails, is saying, you know what, it's actually not that complicated. A lot of the business acumen and business skills you've developed can be applied in your relationship. Try treating your relationship with the same respect you treat a meeting, right? Like you don't show up late for a board meeting. You don't show up late to, to meet a it's client. So true. You don't bail three times in a week because you're busy when it comes to meeting a client or meeting your board of directors or whoever it is you answer to. Maybe if you're if you're not self-employed, then your boss. You don't do that, but we do that with our partners. You don't answer the phone to a big client like, hi, yeah, yeah, I'm just really busy. No, you're like, hey there, how you doing? You how's Susan? It. Yeah, how was your fishing trip? <laughs> and you do, and I'm not saying that you always have to be positive with your partner, but you gotta save some energy for them. So I do like a marriage as a business program, which is just taking practical business strategies and applying it to your relationship. And you don't even need me for that. Like you can just use your own logic. But most of us just don't invest in our relationships. Like there was a time when prior to getting married, for example, 
you went to counseling with your pastor. With right, your, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> and and th- that was definitely lacking. You know, a lot of those programs were rooted in in, in some very sexist ideas, but it was something. It was something that got you talking about your relationship and acknowledging that if you want this marriage to work, it doesn't matter what color your wedding cake is or whether you have like chicken or fish or lobster. What matters is that you invest in the relationship. Like we are so obsessed with planning our weddings and we don't plan our marriages. And that's a really scary thing. So I have like online programs to help people who are either moving in together or they're deciding to get married to just work on their relationship a little. And it's not rocket science. It's not like I have, I mean, I certainly have a lot of data and a lot of research and I think that, you know, I provide some practical tools. But even if if you're not if that's not accessible to you, you can do this on your own. If you just sit down with your partner and do like ask a few simple questions like, like what's going well right now? Like what are we doing well? Let's take stock of what we do well so that we can keep it going. And then I always advise people to think about what can you so me, me, like don't tell me what your partner can do. What can you... Because you're taking accountability and responsibility yeah, by yeah, taking can, it on, right? Yeah, what can yeah. you do to make this relationship a little bit better? So like if I look at my marriage, I've actually been with my partner for over 17 years. Wow. Yeah, we were like kids when we met. And um, he's, honestly, he's amazing. Life is good because of him. Like I've gotten, I really like my job, obviously. I can't, I, I'm lucky. Like I... I really travel all over the place to work with really interesting people and go some very exciting and interesting places, but none of that. But you also have those amazing tools and you know how to, you know that you have to work it in order for it to work. Oh, absolutely. Just like anything else. Yeah, absolutely. But I I mean, it it all pales in comparison to what I have at home. Honestly, like being with my husband is like, it's amazing. But I could tell you what we do well. um, And I could tell you what my, I don't want to say shortcomings, but what my gaps are right now and what I should be doing better. And I think that's a really important space to be in. That's a good word to use. Yeah. Gaps. Yeah. I like that. And I can fill them in. Right? Like I know what I should work harder at. And I think like I can always see when couples or, or individuals come to me do they acknowledge their role or do they just immediately hone in on their partner's deficits? And if that's your attitude, you're gonna really struggle in life. Like the same thing in business, right? You cannot control outside sources. You can only control what you do, right? So if you wanna tell me like, well, the market has changed and this and that, okay. You have to adapt with the market, right? So if your partner does something that you don't really like, you can ask them not to do it, but they might not change, right? Especially if it's more of like a character trait. Like let's just say that they, they overschedule themselves, right? Maybe it's because they're super social. You can ask them to make more time for you. You can ask them to schedule more downtime, but they're always gonna be inclined to be more scheduled than you are. And you can either learn to accept that by spending more time alone or spending time with your friends or making your own plans, or you can sit here and harp on them for the next 20 years, right? Like you, you have that choice. You cannot control yeah. what they do. You can make requests. Like you, and here's the big problem in relationships. The number one problem, I think, in terms of behavior and communication. Tell me. Is that, well, I, <laughs> I'm like, tell me what it is. <laughs> I think that we make complaints. We don't make requests. We wait until we're so pissed off and so frustrated that we get, we like lay into our partner instead of just saying what we need, right? So if I feel you don't spend enough time with me, I, I freak out about it instead of saying, you know what? I love spending time with you. When you're by my side, it just feels so good. Can we schedule Sunday afternoon just to be together and maybe shut our phones off for an hour? Right? Like, that would entail you being vulnerable, which a lot of people, it's it's really difficult to do, right? Well, that's like... So the, saying it in a different way that's more like based in anger is easier to let out. Well, and that's the key. That's a very Western thing, right? Because we won't always have to be strong. Yeah. And that's like the key to intimacy is be vulnerable, be met by love, and then you feel intimacy. 
Like if I come to you and say, listen, let's say I'm a little jealous. Let's say I see you talking to someone and someone about that person makes me a little jealous. I can come to you and be like, who, who is that? What's your problem? I don't, I, don't like, I don't like the way he looks or clearly he's this or clearly he's that or what's, why, why clearly you're into him. Or I can come and say, hey, like that person seems, you seem to you know, really hit it off with them. Tell me I have nothing to worry about, baby. Right? And you can respond with, baby, you're, you're everything to me. You have nothing to worry about. Or you can respond with, well, you're just jealous. And you can see like the formula for intimacy is vulnerable expression, I feel threatened, met by love, which is reassurance. And if, you, if that breaks down anywhere, if I come to you accusing you, you're not going to be very loving in your response. And if you're not loving in your response, it makes my vulnerability settle in in an even more, I think, significant way. And we, we have this thing, in our, again, in our culture that we always have to be strong. And we accuse our partners of being vulnerable. We say things like, oh, you're just jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> and if you love me, help me with my jealousy. Right? And so I think we just need to reframe it. And I, I, I keep saying in the Western world, because I don't see this as much in other cultures. Oh, it's so true. Where being strong isn't everything. Being strong is everything in North America. And we got to let go of that. Because we are strong and we are weak because we're human. Like, there's no way a Torontonian is stronger than someone from Mumbai, just naturally, right? And so I think, like, when you go to Mumbai and they're willing to say, like, you know what, this is really hard for me, Jess. Like, I see that in sex because I'm, I'm traveling and in North America everyone's like, we've got this, we know about this, North, we're, so, we're so progressive. And then I don't you, think so at all. No. When it's, you peel it's, it back. No, absolutely. And then, like, I'll go to Thailand and they'll say, Jess, this is actually a really hard topic for us. And I'm like, well, this group that supposedly lives in a more repressive culture, um, again, that's a Western lens, is actually easier to work with because they're willing to say, hey, this is a tough topic. Whereas when I walk into a place like, say, Nashville, and they're like, no, 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 we got this. I'll have people say, I could teach this course. It's very difficult to teach people who think they know everything and who won't acknowledge that sex and relationships are hard. No matter, like, I have all the information. That's so cool that you get to travel to all these different places and it see the differences cool. in, in people. I mean, when you peel it back, we're all very similar. We are. But, but that outer layer, right? That willingness to admit that you don't know everything takes you a long way in life, in relationships, in business. Like, you hear about the growth mindset, right? The growth mindset applies in business and it applies in relationships. So you can either have a fixed mindset where you think you know it and you've got this and you don't really have anything to learn. Or if you're that growth mindset that walks into every room and is like, I'm gonna learn so much from you right now. Like everywhere I go, I'm supposed to be the expert, but I probably learn as much from my groups than they learn from me. Because 50 minds are way more brilliant than my tiny little mind, right? And even with all the data and all the information and all the strategies, I'm still human and screw up, right? It's not like my relationship is better than everybody else's because I'm a relationship expert. I think it's really good because we both put in a lot of effort. But it, that has nothing to do with my expertise. Like, I would actually credit my husband, who is not an expert, <laughs> with, with being much better at implementing the stuff that I bring to the table than I am. Because he is such a, like, he's such a growth mindset person. Like, he, he goes into every room with such an open mind. That's what makes him successful in business, too. I learn from him. And we learn, like, in business, we're both entrepreneurs. We learn from each other. That's so cool. Yeah. What do you think... Because I know there's a lot of like young women that listen to this podcast. What do you think is like the number one thing that you see as a roadblock for dating, or do you find that it's huh. like, yeah, <clears throat> in that age group, like the kind of like especially with the culture with the phones now and the and the like ra- the yeah. way everything is so rapid. Like I just find that it's I mean I mean from a lot of people that I talk to, You're it's right. really difficult to get into like a committed anything. I think it has to do with an assessment 
of a person rather than just kind of sitting in your feelings. So what I mean by that is like you're on a date and you're so busy assessing whether this will work out, whether this person is a good fit, whether they tick all your boxes. That oh my God, I totally do that. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's more of a business approach. Uh, so not everything in business applies to relationships because then you're not feeling what you are in the moment. Like you're not experiencing that moment in time. You're not really acknowledging, how do I feel in the presence of this person? And, and I, I do think it's an avoidance mechanism, too. I think that we assess so that we don't have to feel, so that we don't have to be present. And I understand that there's always an inclination to do that. Like, I'm that personality um, that is inclined toward assessment. But if you can just stop and, and see what you're feeling and enjoy yourself, like the same advice, my best advice for sex is, is just be more selfish. Like, indulge in the moment and feel what you're feeling instead of having to perform. And that's that's the other half. We're assessing and we're performing, right? We're trying to be like a great version of ourselves so that we can be super likable. Same thing in bed. We're trying to be the best lover so that they think we... I oh my know, God, that's so real. Right, yeah. So we just need to be more in the moment. And I know that sounds a little abstract, but I would say like just focus on what you're feeling and assess later. Like, you, you have all the time in the world. You're not going to forget what happened on the date. But you will forget how you felt if you don't allow yourself to, like, really sit in your feelings. And so I think... That's, um, such, that's actually really good advice. And yeah. it's actually... It's, it seems very obvious. Yeah. But, I mean, for someone like me, it's not. Because, like you said, that works really well for me in business. Mm-hmm. But then I'll go and do that in my dating life. Well, yeah, that's true. When you're in a room in business, everything can feel like it's fitting. But if there's something about the person, whether it's a client or a potential partner or a sponsor, that throws you off, you're like, there's something not right here, and I don't, I don't want to pursue it, right? Like we actually, and you have to use your feelings in business. Like there's an old school model of just, um, just kind of evaluation and assessment. But now we know that feelings matter in the work. Fe- feelings are what we are, right? Relationships yeah. are feelings. I think a good measure of a relationship is how you feel about yourself with that person. Right? So when, it, for friendships, for family, for siblings, like how do you feel about yourself? Do you like yourself when you're with that person? Do they bring out the best in you? Do they make you, do they help to make you feel confident? Um, sometimes they're gonna make you feel crappy, of course, but it doesn't really change the way you feel about yourself, right? So I think that like your level of self-esteem and self-worth in the presence of someone is a good measure of whether that relationship's a healthy one. That's really, yeah. And it's not always on on. them, right? It's not always like, you know, you can have a a sibling or an old friend who kind of sets you off where it's more on you. Like you've got your stuff to work out with them as well. It's not always like a one-way street. Can you delve a little deeper into that, what you really mean? Yeah. Because I get it, but I I want to know like what's... Yeah, so um, let's say you have an old friend from childhood And, you know, you've been friends a really long time, so you don't want to, like, let that friendship go. But when they're around, you don't, like, you you kind of, you dig at them, so you don't really like yourself. Like, you, maybe you, I don't want to say pick on them, but you guys are always kind of competing. And it's in an unhealthy way where you kind of leave saying, like, well, why did I act like that, right? Or they're digging at you. And so... Sometimes that's just their behavior is crappy, they're making you feel bad about yourself, and so maybe that's not a good friendship for you. But sometimes it's actually you. Sometimes it might be that you know, you're know you really jealous of them and you refuse to acknowledge that jealousy. Like I talk about jealousy a lot because jealousy, insecurity, fear are these emotions that we pretend don't exist. But if I can sit and say, you know what, yeah, I kind of pick on her 
because I feel jealous of um, you know something that happened while we were growing up or the fact that every time we meet new people people like her better than me um, that doesn't mean in the long run that they like her better but maybe she makes a better first impression if I can acknowledge that jealousy I can a change my behavior to be more like her there's nothing wrong with that right like jealousy can help you to identify values to values you that see you, that you want for yourself yeah. yeah 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 now envy is different envy is when you want something bad for the person right like oh it is well i mean this is semantics but jealousy is generally like you have something that i want or something is threatening something that i have envy might be that you know what i'm really envious of of the way you look and so I'm like, I, I'm, I'm getting resentful. Right, Where like, okay. I, I kind of hate you. I, I, I want you to look bad. I want you to lose or gain weight or whatever it is I'm jealous of. That, right. that can be very dangerous. Whereas I think yes. jealousy is far more functional. Jealousy can say, let, let's forget the way you look. Let's say I'm, I'm jealous of your business, right? I'm jealous of um, something that I haven't achieved that you've achieved. Well, that could motivate me to learn from you. To look at your strengths, instead of cutting you down and saying, like, well, she only has that because she knew this person. Some excuse. Right. I yeah. can say, like, well, you know what? Look what she's doing differently than me. And can I learn from that? And I can't be you. If I'm trying to be you, I'm always going to lose. Right? So I think that sometimes it's it's on, if, if you don't always feel great with someone, sometimes it's on you. It's something about that person that triggers an insecurity, a fear, or a jealousy in yourself. And you can never overcome those Emotions, Like, you don't want to be jealous all the time. You don't want to be insecure all the time. But you will be them at times. And if you don't acknowledge them, you can't reconcile them. This, this applies in business. Everything that applies in relationships applies in business. Because business is relationships. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, I, how, it's businesses are, I mean, if you look at marketing, it's how you make people feel. Hmm. Right? You, either you're making them feel, your brand might make them feel important. Your brand might make them feel luxurious. Your brand might make them feel smart. Right, like you figure out how is it you want to make people feel, and that's branding. Yeah, right. It's not like that. Status is about a feeling, right? It's about making them. You know, if you're a status type brand, it's about making people feel like they're worthy, right? And everybody wants, and relationships too. You want to feel that way. I think brands that do that now, in a really clever way, are winning because we're so taught to feel like shit. Yeah. You know, like everything is like you have to keep up with this trend you have to have this body you have like we're so conditioned to feel like crap so that we can go buy something <laughs> yeah, yeah right so i feel like brands that can do that are really important even now yeah because, and, yeah. because everything is so like kind of conditioning us to not feel good right i find like i feel like that all the time it's just scrolling through instagram you know of course i mean and you know you can feel great about yourself and then if you compare yourself to people you're going to compare yourself to their one greatest strength and you're always going to feel like crap, right? Like, I mean, I, I can, like, look at my business and, and say that, you know, I've done well and it's going really well, but I can always go on Instagram and see someone who's doing better in some way, right? Right. So you have to derive, I mean, a big part of what I do and why I work in corporate is helping people to derive fulfillment from their lives, not just money and success. Like, money is fun. I get it. We live in a capitalist society um, and success feels good because it feels good to achieve goals it feels good to feel important it feels good to be recognized for all of that but if you don't cultivate meaningful relationships in your life whether that be with a partner or be with friends or be with your kids or whoever's in your life or your parents um, that's the, why so many people with so much money are not very happy the money is useless yeah, yeah. My, my husband just started a, a new real estate company <clears throat> 
And what we're, because I'm helping with the strategy, or managing the strategy, one of the, the focuses on these realtors, if you know real estate in, in Toronto, they're in Toronto, um, you know, you can make a lot of money. But what's the point? I, I, and this is what we say to their realtors. Like, what's the point in a million dollars a year if you're unhappy at home? If you're not eating well and you're so tired that you're sick to your stomach, what's the point if your partner hates you? What's the point if you don't like yourself or you lose all your friends? Like money, listen, I, I like money. I <laughs> have no problem with money. But I think more corporations are picking up on the value of helping management and staff to find balance, like personal fulfillment and professional fulfillment. Right? Like, so they're training this week. If you look at most real estate companies, they're training you in like negotiation and sales and marketing and lead generation. But their training this week is on mindfulness, yeah. on like managing stress and taking specific scenarios. And I think more and more companies are doing this. And the more you do it, the more supported your staff feel. Because most of us are stressed out. Most of us are overcommitted, especially like if you have people who want to be entrepreneurs or are entrepreneurs. That's like, that's business you take to bed. Yes. Right? You yeah. don't get to... 24-7. And, yeah, it's, and it's funny because I still work with a lot of older, I mean, not they're not that old, but say in their 40s, um, people where the husband works and the wife doesn't. And he gets frustrated because when he, he runs a busy, they all run busy businesses. They have to earn, their businesses have to be a certain size to qualify for these organizations I work with. Got it. So they're busy and, you know, they have stressful jobs and some of them manage staff of 800 people. And they are mad at their wives because when they come home, their wives aren't in the mood for sex. They feel distracted by their kids in the next room, and they're always thinking about the kids. And I say to these guys, and I know this is a little old school, but I say to them, I'm like, if your board of directors was sleeping in the bedroom next to you, how would you feel? Like, you'd be bringing your work right home, right? I'm like, she has the kids whom she's tasked with raising and being with all day in the room next to her. Of course she's not in the mood for sex. Right? I don't think people realize how much you, whether you bring your phone into the bedroom or you've got the kids next door, because maybe lots of your listeners don't, don't have kids at this point or don't want kids. But if you bring your phone into the bedroom, you're bringing your clients into the bedroom with you. Like it's a small thing. And a lot of people bring their phones into the bedroom and I love to bring my phone into the bedroom, but I've stopped. Like we had to work on keeping the phone out of the bedroom, not for sex, okay? Like, yeah, I'm a sexologist, but it's really about the relationship first and foremost. I just want to feel some connection. That's even just as simple as like people bringing their phone to dinner all the time and then being mm -hmm. on their phone the entire time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why did we come? Mm -hmm. you know, we like, all do even, that. even, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like we're all bad I think we're mm -hmm. always like it's just an, another addiction right you're always on the phone but I yeah. really try to like keep it just far away from me now well and there's research that shows that your concentration your empathy and your connection is different whether your phone is on the table in your pocket or in the next room and you can obviously guess that being in the next room makes you more empathetic more connected more intimate and more concentrated so more, like more in the moment so this, it's small things. Like I'm never telling people to like revolutionize everything at once. But I do think like can you not, let's say you bring your phone into the bedroom. Like can you not bring it into the bedroom on Fridays night, Friday nights and then maybe Saturday nights? And can you... Little tweaks. Exactly. And people will always tell me like it's my alarm clock. And I'm like, you know what? Go buy an alarm clock. Save $4 <laughs> and go buy an alarm clock. No, we, we make excuses, right? No, All totally, the time. And I'm the same. I remember when we were working on getting our phones out of the bedroom. We so now you have no phone in the bedroom, period. Well, we break the rules sometimes. Yeah, we, we try not to. But yeah, we actually leave it on the second floor. Like our house is, our, our bedroom's on the third floor. And so the rule is that the phone doesn't come up the stairs. At first, we would put the phones on the top 
stare. Like we're so pathetic and so important <laughs> that we need our phone. Like, and then we just worked it down. And like, I'm not saying we never break the rules. Like, so for example, I travel um, probably about 60 to 70% of the nights. Wow. Yeah. So, and my husband comes with me a lot, but when he's home and I'm not, he does have the phone in the bedroom because we usually like talk late at night and I'm in a hotel room. I'm not fancy enough to have a separate suite all the time. Right. <laughs> like, so my phone is in the bedroom. So we were breaking the rules, but I do try and make an effort. Like last night, um, I guess at around eight o'clock, I probably made an Insta post and then left the phone down on the second floor. And of course, when I like I was up for hours and hours after that I want to check it but I'm like you know what it's Sunday night and it is distracting and maybe looking at Instagram isn't that distracting because I'm just looking at who liked my photo (laughs) but but you know an email can pop up that can be very distressing especially when you're an entrepreneur and then me being in this subversive business where people attack me all the time like I might see a post where someone calls me a whore or someone calls me oh yeah 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 like with with three exclamation points you only need one (laughs) <laughs> like one, with one exclamation yeah, I mean, point. I was previously an English teacher. Let me tell you, you only need one exclamation point. I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I think being a woman online, period, is kind of challenging. And then when you're in, a, in an industry that's so subversive, where I am pissing people off, and I don't even, I don't even speak as radically as I am. Like, I'm, I tend to just stay in, safe, in a safe lane sometimes because I can't handle it. And I do, I have a responsibility, I think, as... Um, someone who has a voice in this field to speak up for reproductive justice, to speak up for folks whose voices aren't heard. Uh, But sometimes I just can't take it, right? Well, I actually read something from Deepak recently Mm. where they did scientific studies that if you read a crappy comment from someone, it actually lowers your immune system. So people that are constantly like reading bad stuff about themselves, it's like, how do you really block that though? I'm not sure yet, but People that are constantly reading bad stuff about themselves actually get sicker quicker. That, that doesn't surprise, and it's stress, right? Like you've got this cortisol spike, you feel stressed out, and that takes a toll on your body. Like the, the psychological is, you, you live it out in the physical. Yeah, so I, I have a TED Talk. Um, I did a TED Talk called Monogamish. Can you tell us the link or like, tell, can yeah. you send it to us so we can put it in yeah, the description sure. of this? Because I'd love to see that. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's just really talking about how you can remain monogamous, but just push your boundaries a little bit. Um, it is not that revolutionary. It is definitely not that subversive, but it really pissed people off. And I don't even think many, I think many of them didn't actually watch the whole thing. <laughs> like I what think a they shock. Just, yeah, they just saw the title. But I have, act, I've, first of all, I've never even watched it. Because I know that I'd just be hard on myself. Yes, I'm the same way. But I accidentally read the comments like twice, but just a few comments. I mean, it's, it has millions of views, so it's, it has lots and lots of comments. I don't know how many. I don't care. But in the moment, because I often send the link out, I'll peek at the comments, and there might be a nice one. So I scroll down to the next one, oh. and then it's like, you know, bashing me. And I, you know, here, you know, I'm in this field trying to make people feel better about themselves. That's what I want to do. I want young people to have the tools to make good decisions, and I want adults to have the tools to undo some of the damage that was done <laughs> when we were younger because we didn't have the education that we needed, right? right. Um, I'm trying to help people. I'm not, yes, it's about sex, but it's, it's primarily about relationships, and sex is a big component of that. I'm just trying to help people. And then there's people like, you know, attacking me personally, threatening me, wishing malevolence and even like bodily harm upon me. And when I've read those comments, like I can feel a rush of heart racing and heat and sweat through my body. And it's so scary. So I don't know how like huge celebrities do it, 
with people picking on their, and women in particular, like for the way we look. Right, like you should, sometimes people will comment on my photos that they don't like my nose or they don't like my mouth. And I'm like, I don't know. What? Yeah, and I'm like, why? Why do you even, first of all, I'm not, I, I don't know, I'm not um, super obsessed with the way I look. Luckily, I like the way I look. I feel like my body is this vessel that carries me through life. I like to look good, but that doesn't really, like, if you criticize my nose, it doesn't really bother me or my mouth or something like that. Um, but when, you know, when they attack my intelligence, uh, again, like, I have to get over it. But when they, you know, say that I'm damaging people's lives when I'm really just trying to help, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that everything I do is helpful to everyone. But I'm making an effort here, and I'm putting myself out there, and that's a really scary thing to do for anyone. Totally. And I always think my husband's actually um, teaming up with me for this new for this new brand, so we're kind of rebranding. I'm Sex with Dr. Jess, and we're moving into this happier couple space. Okay. And it's so funny how just having a man next to me and a white man at that changes the way people interact with me. Like, they're not going to harass as much because he's there. Or if they do harass me and he says something, they apologize to him. Oh, my God. <laughs> they're like, oh, I'm How sorry, How telling bro. is that? Yeah, it's, yeah. Wow. We, we have a long way to go. I didn't even think about that when I was thinking about, like, your career. And I didn't even, that didn't even enter my mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just got to stay away from it. Yeah, so, look. so my point is I will not read those comments. I won't go near them. Um, sometimes I'll engage a little on Instagram if I feel like I could maybe broaden someone's perspective. Like, if someone says something really homophobic, I might ask them, like, well, well why do you think that? Like, do you not believe that people have a right to love who they love? And, you know, oftentimes they'll tell me to go blank myself. <laughs> yeah. But uh, sometimes they'll come around and be like, you know what, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't think of it that way. So I will try and engage with some people. But if it's a personal attack, like, what There's are you going to no do? There's no point. Yeah. yeah. You don't like my mouth? Like, <laughs> I'm like, she has a really weird mouth. I'm like, I don't know. It looks like a pretty normal mouth to me. Like, I eat with it. I do other things with it. <laughs> Well, listen, I loved having you on. You're so awesome and informative, Thank and I you. learned so much. Please send me the link without looking at the comments. <laughs> and if you can tell our listeners where to find you and anything else that you kind of want to share that maybe you're doing next. Thank you. Yeah, I'm at Sex with Dr. Jess. And if you're in the Toronto area, I'm going to be in Toronto in the big, soon for the Everything to Do with Sex show. When is that? It's soon. It's uh, the first week of November, I believe. You'd think I'd have that. We can year. find out, and then we'll leave it in the yeah, description. Yeah, it's November 2nd, 3rd, 4th. At the International Center, the Everything to Sex Show. I'm going to be giving a whole lot of speeches there and signing books. And I, I have a bunch of video courses that I think are quite useful to people, whether you're in a relationship or you're single. There's like sexual skill courses as well as communication and relationship courses. And, I, and your website is also Sex with Jess because I checked it out. Yes, and I, Sex and with I, Dr. Jess. Sex with Dr. Jess. And yeah. I also I, saw, I watched a couple of the videos and I was like, I learned so much even just from those. So awesome. really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you for being here.